peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. Today, I'm super excited. One of my best friends from grad school, Ro, a.k.a. Rowboat, is here all the way from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm also joined with George. I don't even think he needs an intro. Everyone knows the man, the myth, the legend. And we're also joined by Christian today as well. So Christian I'm going to go Haynes. ahead, uh, not the made up Christian Haynes. So I'm going to go ahead and shoot it over to you, Ro. Give us a little intro. All right. Uh, so my name is Rogelio. Just Here go, go by Ro because it's right easier <laughs> for people. Um, so right now I'm getting my PhD at uh, the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. Uh, my thing is in exercise physiology, exercise science. And mostly I focus on like resistance training. So uh, for all the cardio bunnies, I don't care. Uh, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about weights. Um, besides that, I was a strength coach at Mississippi State University. That's where we met. Um, also, where I met her. Um, but then, uh, other her than that, I've just be, been... Her would be the off-mic uh, girlfriend the, Casey. The we off-mic all went girlfriend to Casey. <laughs> we all went to school together. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I've just been um, training, training people since... I guess I was like eight, so like nine years, almost coming up on a decade. Uh, and then in my very little spare time, I have uh, a business that I run called ROI Health Nutrition and Performance with uh, Nicole, who was on here on a podcast back in October, whenever. Um, and that's pretty much all my life is at this point is just training and studying and research. So I feel like I follow, <laughs> I follow your life on Instagram from afar. It's just sadness. And it's like computer screens, yeah. <laughs> computer screens, sadness, yeah. lifting. Yeah, the barbell. The yeah. PhD is ruining my life. <laughs> it's pretty much all it is yeah, at this <laughs> point. So uh, it's really great. But, you know, anyone who does stuff like that can tell you that it's mostly downs. But we stay it's for the It's a lot. It's your, so. it's your life. Yeah. It's it's a lot. I live a big research life. That's all I do. See, yeah, you My definitely life is a are getting a, a taste of it. It's, well, it. Yeah. Well, I think a huge part of higher education is, especially when you get towards the end of your degree and your bachelor's, it's reading research and learning how to sift through the bullshit and decide and make decisions and critical, you know, critical thinking for yourself. See, I don't, I don't know if I can call it as bullshit. Like, I take every single piece within that study, like, with a grain of salt and, like, really take it into, into like, thought process. Yeah. Well, I don't want to discount people making an effort to put data out there. But I do think that there's... Your best friend's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> All my research is bullshit. It's like, so actually, it's by the way, I need the cliff notes with just the points up real fast. Yeah, That's yeah. it. The bullshit that you don't think is bullshit is what I want to read. Well, yeah. see, I guess I'm referring to more the studies that are really poorly designed, you know. Um, but we just had a conversation like prior to this, though. Most studies are poorly designed. I, I don't know <laughs> if you can say that they're like poorly designed, right? But it's that if you look at how, what real life is and then you try to... Um, apply it to science. Yeah, apply it to science and... and try to check as many boxes as possible. Like there's still inevitably things that we can't cover. So yeah, it's, we can't say it's all bullshit. I think science does a lot of things right. And you know, inevitably does a lot of things wrong. That's kind of the whole point. Um, but it is, uh, it is something you can be really cynical about and be like, Oh, this is all bullshit. Or you can just like you said, take it, um, and try to piece it together and be like, okay, this is good. 
But on the other hand, you're going to find eight studies that say the complete opposite. And then oh, you'll be like, 100%. well, I don't know. I don't know what truth anymore. We just, so. had, a converse, we just had a conversation about that, too. It was like, uh, how does being at altitude affect your brain? Like, is it a thing? Like, can it cause depression? Because there's studies out there that say it doesn't. And there's studies out there that say it does. You hmm. know, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, well, that's kind of... And it's like, well, what if it's just the quality of air that you're <laughs> you're intaking? Yeah, and and I think uh, so. Like with with science, um, I went on a rant in my classroom the other day because uh, we yes. talked about hypotheses, and I was like, you guys understand that like science is bullshit, right? But in like the best way. But I was like, it doesn't it doesn't tell us what's true; it just tells us what's not true. And then from there, we're able to piece together a bunch of non truths to be like, okay, this is what the truth is. Um, which is a kind of a hard pill to swallow because we're like, oh, no, science gives us answers. It's like, well, it tells us what's, what's not so that we come to the conclusion what is. Um, and so oh, the reason I brought this up is because you talked about how um, you're not sure if it's yes or no when it comes to depression in high altitude or whatever. Uh, we all set like an alpha level of 0.05, and that says, well, if it's 95%, we're 95% positive that what we found was right uh, and it wasn't just due to random error. And so when you look at studies that are significant, it's because it passes that, or it's underneath that threshold. Huh. So if it's 94%, it's like, well, sorry, it's not significant. But if you're like a coach, and especially in like the performance aspect, uh, if we find something that's 80% going to make a difference, and you have a team, there's a good chance you're going to use that, because if 80% of my team might get better, I'm going to do that. Right. Um, huh. So it's kind of hard to to see and to look at and be like, we have to discount this because it's not significant. Uh, but then also, because it's not significant, most of those studies don't get published because they, they need to be something new. It needs to be something exciting. And even though no is still an answer, uh, people don't like that answer. And it's not something that you can be like, check out this new study. If, if people are like, oh, you already knew that. It's like, well, did you though? Or <laughs> did you just kind of think it was? Um, so that's why, like, everything science-related should be taken with a grain of salt, uh, but it's also, like, the most important tool we have in figuring out what what is true yeah. and what isn't. I love that you brought it up, but most of the time, it just, you end up walking away with a list of more questions, yeah. not more answers. Yeah. So that's what makes it exciting. But I also think you bring up a great point is it's important to fully read a study because you can still learn something from it, even if there wasn't a significant difference maybe statistically it didn't pan out perfectly but you can't just read the abstract 60 to 90 words and right. totally understand what the study did and what the real results are absolutely yeah i think uh so i was at um an acsm conference last year and i remember one of the poster presentations was on how was it uh leg drive leg drive and if it helps with the one rep max of uh a bench press Right. And so they hypothesized that it would and it didn't. And so I don't know if it's been published or if it was just a poster, but the rep range that they used was something like 12 to 15 reps. And so if you just read, well, leg drive doesn't help, then you're like, okay, well, we never have to leg drive again when we bench press. But if you go in and say like, well, why were you guys using 12 reps? Why weren't we using reps that maybe were closer to one rep maxes or a quote unquote strength protocol? would we have seen a difference there? So maybe your methodology was just off, or maybe it was that it, it doesn't help. Um, you only get that if you read the whole study, right? because the abstract says it doesn't work. 
And then the meat and potatoes says, well, maybe this is why it doesn't work. And the discussion, I think one of the great things about research is that in the discussion, you're having a conversation with yourself of, this is right based on all these studies. It's also wrong based on all these studies. It helps to add with the growing body of knowledge because of this, and it also might challenge some old status quo that we might have. Based on this conclusion, here it is. So you can't just like outright say, this is, this is the greatest study ever, ha ha ha. It's yeah. like, well, this is, I'm checking myself. Um, and even if you're not, whoever else is on the paper is like, hey, by the way, I, you totally forgot that this exists. Well, that's the, that's the cool part about this, right? Is like, I've been doing strength conditioning for 10 years, right? And it's, that's not a, it's, and that's been from not the academia side. That's all just been from being inside the trenches mm-hmm. and yeah. doing it. So now in my senior year of my bachelor's in science for sports psychology right now, it's now letting me apply those questions of now I've gone through this feedback loop that I started out when I first started coaching and learning about this stuff. And I got super complex learning about HRV, heart rate, energy systems, resistance training. And then how do we blend resistance training and, 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 and energy systems together to give us a, a better quality of life? But now it's like, well, what if everything that I'm learning right now in the past was completely not just a question of just it worked for me. Yeah. 80% of it yeah. works. So I'm going to see this go ahead. But then someone like yourself would come in and be like, well, I've done this before and this worked. Yeah. And it's like, wow, okay, cool. So what research has given us now are multiple fucking perspectives of someone's experiences through their time in the trenches and some people who write those research papers have never been in the trenches. Yeah, yeah. To where it's like, well, okay, hey, wait a minute. Guys like you who are working in the trenches, be like someone who doesn't, because we just talked about that, right? Yeah. Like you got guys that are doing research experiments who fucking don't do exercise yeah. at all. <laughs> Lots I've of seen it from my side of the, of the spectrum in the military, right? We got guys who sit behind the computer all day and fucking just hand jam and think they know every single thing they want and they're God gifts to earth. So the idea behind that, right, is like, well, okay, cool. Let's go ahead and look at researches that we talked about as multiple people's thought processes. Yeah, I mean, of I th- that current thing. I think uh, so. That's what like originally got me into research was uh, also Dr. Smith, who's like my mentor. Shout out to you. Yeah. Um, but um, it was also that it, it didn't make sense to me that people that were teaching science like weren't actually doing, doing things. It. Yeah, um, and I really wanted to be quote unquote one of the first to bridge the gap. And then, you know, you find out that the NSCA exists and you're like, okay, cool. This is like their, their mission statement is to bridge the gap. Fine. Um, but it's still, you know, people just, some of them in there don't exercise and they're just very into science and vice versa. You shouldn't be taking all of your information from a meathead who's like, uh, we've just been doing this for 30 years and this is how it is. It's like, okay, cool. You had 10 really successful athletes and clients and then you broke 200 others. So how well are you doing it actually? Um, but I think that's the uh, the main force, the main driving force for me at least, and for a lot of us is that, like, we can't just rely on one or the other. Like, you have to be an egghead and a meathead. Yeah, like, well, that's just the way it is. So this opens the door to like what you're doing in research right now, is because for me personally, I came from a tactical athlete world and special operations field, became a CrossFit athlete full time, tried to make it a high level, full time weightlifter, weighed 220 pounds. Lifting, beefy boy yeah lifting amounts of, like lifting some heavy weights yeah. and learning that hey like if i want to get any better at this i'm gonna have to make other sacrifices to specialize 
then I decided to go on the other side of the spectrum <laughs> and become an ultra endurance athlete. So I run old hundred mile races. <laughs> I, I love being in the mountains. My mouth a bit. <laughs> but what it's done now for me, because like you said, you're like nothing about the um, resistance training and like your your study right now is very intriguing to me because of the fact that like I'm all about strength and endurance concurrent training. Mm-hmm. And how and in like looking at pure resistance training as you're talking about, right, with what you were about to explain, I don't want to get too far down the hole, but it opens my it's like, well, okay, well, how do you how do you view this resistance training and how we can make these adaptations within the system that you're trying to do right now? Yeah, it's uh super interesting because if you were to open up a, a book or talk to someone um thirty years ago, right, they would be like, Well, if you do resistance training, uh, it's bad for your joints. It's going to harden your uh, the vessels in your heart. It's going to uh, like just stiffen you up, right? It's going to decrease flexibility. Like all these things that said like we shouldn't be resistance training. And anyone who was resistance training was like, I don't feel this way. <laughs> like why are we <laughs> telling people this? Um, and so the literature has kind of been shifting to like now we know we need to resistance train. Um, not only because it makes you look better, which is like the biggest selling point anyone wants to know like is this gonna make it look better cool i'll do it um <laughs> but from like a um bio like a, a mechanistic standpoint, yeah. yeah standpoint where like okay like we need these processes to keep us alive um it's one of the main reasons that we're able to like fight off our cancers and inflammation and things like that and so there are all these buzzwords that like people are like oh inflammation oh it's going to decrease it okay i should do it which is fine for 90% of the population. Just tell them it'll decrease inflammation. And they're like, I don't know what that is, but cool, we should do it. Um, but now we know that we can mix those two things and it becomes effective. So before it was resistance training, we shouldn't do it because it's going to stiffen us or whatever. And then it was like, well, if you do it, you shouldn't do cardio because it's going to kill your gains or it's going to like waste energy. Um, and now it's like, well, there's a way to do them both at the same time. Um, in, in a, in a very structured way. Exactly. That's the key word, right? Like there's a very structured way that, I mean, people talk about it all the time, but it's, it's not going to be one way for you. It's going to be yeah. something for different for, for us and all. That was kind of my question. Um, in, I mean, in 30 years, uh, if, you know, research goes well, do you, do you think at that point there will be one method, um, or, way way more of kind of like a diverse fitness landscape because the the landscape is already super diverse you have a lot of people approaching training in a lot of different ways as you go down this rabbit hole and do more research is everyone going to be doing the same thing are we going to know everything that we need to know to make one fucking master method yeah or is it going to be way more diverse yeah so i think you can look at that like right now right i mean like you said we do have a very diverse landscape uh you have people that were like oh we only power lift and then you have firefighters that are like i only power lift you're like well you're gonna be really bad at your job (laughs) if you if you only do that um and then something like crossfit came around it was like hey well this is for the tactical athlete and people were like, oh, okay, this Realistic, is pretty good. It's not for the tactical No, it's, it's, it's not, right? <laughs> so like, CrossFit does uh, some things right, but it also does a lot of things wrong, just like any other uh, sport or training modality. Um, and every country's Olympic team trains differently. Yeah, and, and so I think that right there like answers the question, is that like we already have so many methods that like basic stuff works. We understand that the basics, you need strength. Um, like a general 5x5 five five program is going to historically give you large amounts of strength um, and maybe some muscle adaptations. 
but you know, if you're like a, a shitty clean and jerker, like you're going to need <laughs> to do more work than someone else that maybe has better leverages, yeah. right? So there is never going to be a one size fits all one. And then two, if we want to get into like the, the meat of it is that your fiber types are different than mine are different than his or different than hers. So how we train have to be different, even if it's going to be the same sport, because, uh, you know, we're finding that women tend to take volume a lot better than males can, and they tend to recover a lot better. Mm -hmm. So if I write something up for Broken, she's like, cool, I'm coming in the next day, I feel fresh. The next day, I feel fresh. And on the first day, George is like, get me the fuck out of here. Like, I don't feel good at all. What are we supposed to say? Like, no, that's, that's the method. That's our one size fits all. So regardless of uh, sport or even healthy just lifestyle, there can't be a one-size-fits-all, um, especially because, like, what's healthy to you is healthy to me is – or isn't healthy to me isn't healthy to someone else. So it's – But eventually there could be there could be some kind of training doctrine that outlines that higher volume is better for women, and this would be the row method. Right. There's, but there's information that talks about that already. Well, there's already information that talks about lighter women – handle more volume than heavier women. There's also shows that women in general handle volume intensity better than men. Well, I guess what I'm asking is, as you do more research, is the science becoming more or less settled? Uh, oh, man, that's... I don't know, <laughs> That's man. what I'm yeah. fucking driving at. So I think it's, uh, again, like Brooke had said earlier, is that it, it answers questions, but it just leaves us with more. So something I was talking to George about was um, some lactate studies that we're doing. And so if we know that... Uh, Lactate is, is kind of a byproduct of um, glycolysis. So as you're doing like high-intensity work, it's used as a fuel substrate. So if we look at just the history of lactate, right, uh, 30 years ago, lactate's bad for you. It's what's causing the soreness. It's what's causing you to cramp up. Now it's like, nope, we know that's not it. It's actually the increase in hydrogen ions. Um, so lactate, uh, lactate in itself isn't inherently bad because we use it as a fuel substrate. And then along with that, so it's like, okay, well, now everyone's the same. Lactate's always good. It's like, well, uh, now let's go back to the women and male thing. So uh, like I said, we were talking about earlier that males tend to produce more lactate than females. And there's kind of like two thoughts. Um, and I don't really know where I stand. And it's hard to be a researcher and be like, this is it. This is dogma. Um, and then find <laughs> a piece of research that says like, well, maybe not. And then you're like, oh, I sound like an idiot now. Um, but... Does a, does a male produce more lactate because he's a male or is it because males tend to have more muscle mass? And so we know that the more muscle mass you have, the more you're going to be using an amount of muscle. So you're going to have more glycogen that's being used. So you're going to have more byproduct of lactate. So does that mean that, you know, uh, we can match a male and a female that are the exact same as far as um, muscle fiber type? And we can't do that, right? But muscle fiber type, uh, percent body fat, height, weight. So everything is matched other than their male and female. Like, would we see the same level of lactate? We get those answers? Cool. But then the next answer is, well, how do they train? What was their upbringing? How did they train? Because someone who is going to do more like muscular endurance is going to be able to maybe utilize um, that lactate more than someone who is like a power lifter who is like, I do work and then I'm done, right? I take 10 minutes to rest because I need it or whatever. Um, so so it just answers, or it just leaves us with more questions, which is good. Like, it's what we need 
And that's yeah. kind of comforting to me. I don't want to live in a world where everyone's doing the same shit. Yeah, absolutely not. You know? You know? Because then you also lose your job then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, that's kind of one of those things where, like, the, when you hear me, when you're saying that we're starting to see lactate be beneficial for individuals, too much lactate ends up causing harm to the individual, which we see. And again, I'm going to throw out high intensity training, right? The reason I look at high intensity training as a negative thing for most people is because they don't have the capacity to handle high intensity training or to handle the lactate production that their body is putting off. So if we could find a consistent approach with someone's training, right, that produces a healthy balance of lactate throughout their day of their training protocol, wouldn't that be a be the right way to go ahead and look at saying like, hey, someone's strength training protocol needs to be these things, not always dosing them with resistance training five to eight times a day or eight times a week, I'm sorry, instead being like, hey, look, we can produce lactate through this means of energy system development on the, let's say, aerobic development side. And then we can also develop lactate through the anaerobic side of things too as well, right? Like to have a, the way I look at this is, is to have a bigger funnel you have to do lower aerobic work to develop that funnel so then we can have an output or a higher output of anaerobic work, right? So let's go ahead and say you put out more, you put out more lactate than I do, right? But your background is in pure resistance training, mm-hmm. but you're only, allowed, you're only allowed to go ahead and put it out for a specific duration, let's say six minutes, Someone like myself who comes out and we do a test that's supposed to be 12 and your power production through that only went up to six minutes and you started degrading. For me, mine was the opposite end of it. I was able to control my lactate from a lower effort or understand how to do so because I'm not as productive in it, slowly build up and then be able to hammer it on the back end because of the capacity I was able to develop to handle more lactate. And it's all over the place. And it's just because of the way I think about this, right? Is like for me to increase lactate or the production of it, right? I need to develop a bigger aerobic funnel so I can handle the process of it. it is, do you see, I know I'm all over the place with that, but yeah. that's my thought process with that. And it's just kind of what's happened with kind of the research ideas behind it and then seeing it happen in real life. So, so I guess I have two things. First is that um, I don't, so you said that uh, someone increasing their lactate too much is like bad. Uh, too much. Like let's say they do it. Let's say they, because there has to be a max of it, right? Like you, that's the test you're doing right now is you're testing what is the max production of someone's lactate with the specific uh, exercise and time domain with rest. Right. Right. And you said, and we can go into that here in a little yeah. bit, but with that, so I'm saying though is how does that. Well, so so I don't know if, if, if we have... Um, set parameters of like what too high of lactate is. That's okay, cool. Right. So so for for you to say like we don't want it to get too high is like well we don't know what too high is, right? We just Correct. know that as you put in a lot of work, it just is a byproduct. So we only use it as a way to say, oh you're actually working hard. But like to what degree we don't know. So, yeah. And then because of again the training background. Like what's like the that. what is too much for somebody? Uh, yeah, so I mean, we had that's someone pretty much that like kind of like, where I came to. Someone that was like uh, one of our subjects was about two hundred and fifteen pounds. He's a big dude, um, and he had a lactate of like seventeen point one millimoles, uh, which is like stupid high. It's yeah, like very high. high. Um, but then if you have someone who 
maybe uh, caps out at like nine, right? For them, they're like working really hard, but that's just what their limit is. Again, that goes back to maybe he's a smaller guy. Yeah. Maybe he's a really, maybe she's a really big woman. Uh, maybe they are endurance trained. Maybe they have more type one muscle fibers that are going to utilize that. So there's too many things right, right now. We don't have enough answers to be like, this is a set thing. We don't want it to get too high and things like that. Um, but another thing I think going back to what you said is that your, it wasn't so much like a, a lactate issue as, as it was like a programming issue. So absolutely no one should be coming off the couch saying I've never exercised a day <laughs> in my life. Let's go to an orange theory class or a CrossFit class or just do my own circuit and just go balls to the wall. Right. But like, that's what, what happens. Let's be honest. Sure. But that's, that is one just ignorance right someone's like oh it can't be that hard to exercise and then they just get crushed like we've all been there sometimes we go but there the cool, every now the and cool then part anyway. about that right because we hit that we hit the nail on the head all the time about that right like hey look you should not be coming off the couch and going and try and do this 531 program yeah. or this fucking bulgarian squat program that first off let's 10 go by and, 10 always or <laughs> not even yeah. right let's one, one maximum max, seven yeah. days a week <laughs> seven days a week right but the understanding of that program was, hey, this is there's different variables that they took with that. What's cool now is like we can go ahead and be like, no, you're right. Like, hey, someone who produce, produces too much lactate and who is not fit are gonna now have soreness longer to really not be able to. Because you see, like we're trying to like dive into it and just yeah, but but then that that assumes that having high high levels of lactate means that you're gonna have high levels of soreness and like that's not a thing. Well, okay, right? I have a question because I remember being told that when I was. That's a young thing in the gym. <laughs> yeah. And like I had a bunch the, of bodybuilder friends. Yeah. That was like the thing. So yeah. when did that school of thought change? It's actually uh so super great question. That's, and yeah. that's based off of Fuck someone yeah. that came out of my lab. Um, not like while I was there. Uh, I'm blanking on his name and I'm gonna get like yelled at by my advisors because they'd be like, How do you not know this guy? Um in the military, but, you'd be pushing right now for not yeah. remembering your fucking history. Um, <laughs> so he was like a big biochem guy and he was like, Look, for it to be called lactic acid, right, is inherently wrong because it's a buffer. And so uh. it, that was only seen through, like, him being able to see the biochemical structure of it and saying, like, this is wrong. We can't keep calling it lactic acid. And so if you read books now, they still say lactic acid, right? They still say we have a buildup of lactic acid. It's like, well, that's lactic. Let's define lactic acid in, in the right way. Yeah, and I think... Uh, I was talking to one of my buddies who's a nurse, and he's like, "Well, lactic acid, uh, we measure it, but it has—it's something in the stomach." And I have—I have very little idea of like Holy what it shit. actually is. But lactate, <laughs> as far as like being a production of of or a byproduct of work, is is not an acid. It's a buffer. It helps us go longer because we utilize it as substrate. So somebody mm, along the way, that's yeah. because we saw, oh, well, lactate goes up. I get really tired. I get really sore. It must be it. And they just figured out it's actually the accumulation of hydrogen ions. And so the lactate, because it's used as a fuel source, allows you to go longer. So this is a re so when I jumped off and did the 12-foot dive into the ultra-endurance realm, I really wanted... Psycho. <laughs> well, and the thing was... He be did. I literally did. Like, I'm, like, I'm serious. But it was for me to understand exactly what you're talking about when... Lactic acid. I've actually read in a research paper and multiple other sources that it's a it's developed it's a byproduct of what's in the gut, which is why a lot of ultra endurance athletes now are learning how to utilize carbohydrates in the right manner to go ahead and buffer or create that buffer 
so that they can go longer. So which is why we're seeing individuals utilize now more of a lower aerobic type training so they can become more fat adapted. And then through tr eating through nutrition, they're also learning how to manage different types of intakes of food. So when they get into races and they have to learn how to manage that, they find what works for them through nutrition and they've already trained it through a metabolic response in their training because, again, endurance is a metabolic sport. Ro, I can see why you stick to strength training. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it, dude, I, I <laughs> fucking dove. Also, like, I, so I hate anything cardiovascular related and like the heart and the lungs. And so anytime I have to read anything, I'm like, I don't care. But I would never be like, oh, to understand this more, I'm going to go run a fucking Ironman. Like, that's well, how he and is. that's literally <laughs> how it is. And like, I, it was because it was one of these things, man. Like, when I went, and I'm going to be completely honest, like, I've had to work through a lot of different types of trauma from the military and previous. And Fair. like, how do I do that? And I started using resistance training as that piece. Yeah, and it became absolutely. a very, it became a very abusive relationship with that. <laughs> As yes. most people do, and I don't. I'm, right now, I'm creating some thoughts and some hypothesis on like yeah. what I look <laughs> at is how we utilize f abuse in the fitness industry and mm -hmm. how it causes problems. Long story short, what I was looking at now is like how do I create change in a neurological way because it's not working in the resistance training space for me. Again, key for word you, for right? me. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, you're right, right? I had to learn going through ultra endurance training or what I had to do when training for 100 mile races. I mean, I was spending. 20 hours a week running, dude. Yeah. Like out in the mountains, just out. But that's 20 hours too much, by the way. It's <laughs> well, the, to race 100 miles, that's the time you got to put in. And that was, that was on the low end compared to some of, and a high end for some races. And then the low end was 13 to 12 hours. Is that less abuse than strength training? Well, yeah, that's like right? a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, <laughs> yeah. so that's the funny part Very was, fair. was what I started realizing was the intensity that I was bringing during my, my resistance training that was causing the abuse. When I learned how to manage the intensity through ultra endurance ra racing, because again, Intensity we bring in a in a in a physical way has detriment on the psychological aspect over right. time. Depending on yes. depending on how yeah. that is, right? And most individuals don't understand what their full potential of ninety percent is because they're never ever ever having to get put there unless it's a life or death situation. Then you actually know what a hundred percent really feels like. I don't mean you ever almost been crushed by a barbell back squat. I think that's I, but that's I think I know. Let's <laughs> no, no, but that's I, the but thing though, right? Is like yeah, yeah. take that now compared to you being chased or a rock that fell on top of you and you have to pick it up off your yeah, like, those are two completely they different are. things so when we go ahead and be like well let's go and use a back squat as <laughs> as right. as the like, effort oh, to go and train yeah. you're right that's a very intense specific moment for you and if you understand that you can manage those those intensities over time so it's like cool well i'm going to save that but going back to like what the ultra endurance aspect really like opened the doors was, oh, if I want to build recoverability and a quality of life, I need to increase the stroke volume and the, and the power production of what my heart does. And that doesn't happen through high intensity training. That happens through low aerobic training. And, and you're, you're, you're like, well, wait a minute. How does that happen? It's because Again, I spend such a low period of time in lower heart rates. It's considered like the way I break it down in strength training. We have hypertrophy, strength, and power. And this is honestly the first time me really talking and diving into this because you can understand it and we're all in here to understand that. I break down like my 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 zone one, two, three, four, five into like a hypertrophy phase, a strength phase, <laughs> and a power phase. Coming from the strength background, right? It's like, okay, cool. If I want to develop a bigger aerobic base, I need to spend, just like we want to develop bigger muscles, I want to spend time in hypertrophy. If I want to bring a little bit more power behind it, 
I will then go and spend time in higher, high, higher intensity bouts. But understanding that I can't be in high intensity all the time to produce what I want, I have to touch those lower hypertrophy, or in, in strength training, higher reps, right, in hypertrophy, the same thing with a lower heart rate. If I can keep my heart rate for two hours at a 130, I'm actually now developing the durability and the strength and sustainability to handle now when I get to those 90% efforts for longer duration. So it's now bringing me back to being like, cool, because I'm just writing a program right now. Actually, it's really cool. Like It's a strength-focused resistance training protocol across the board, hypertrophy, strength, and power. But what I'm doing, though, is I'm throwing in low aerobic work in the rest periods to, with the other stuff to go ahead and develop that lower side so we can see potentially the recoverability on the back end so where now they can recover faster, be able to go and hit those sets even heavier. Right? You see what I'm like? It's just yeah, uh, I, I see what you're saying, but that's like saying um, if you uh, want to uh, be better at lifting – two to three rep maxes that you're going to spend uh, majority of your time doing 12 to 15 rep maxes. I would, right. I see that's the thing is I would say more of six to eight rep maxes. Well, I, like arbitrarily, right? Is yeah. That like, uh, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I agree with you saying that, um, well, if to build my aerobic base, I'm going to make sure that I stay like at a low intensity and like do like longer work. Right. Okay. Because if you know what your threshold is, so let's say, um, uh, 150 beats per minute is like your heart rate threshold. Okay, and so once you go above that, there's like no stopping you. You're gonna get tired. So sprint work works in that, or interval work is like okay, I'm gonna cruise it around 140 for 10 seconds. I'm gonna get up above 150 and just like really go ham, come back down, wait till I'm recovered, go up again. So that way you're still able to train that zone as maximal as you can without just like skyrocketing. So it's like literally dipping your foot in, come back up, yep. dipping your foot in. Um, and I would argue that that's going to develop your ability to like last longer and create more power than if you were just like, well, I want to be really good at being a 130. So I'm going to stay at 130. Well, that's the thing is though, is like you're now talking, so your perspective now is like, well, I take this. And that's right. I'm not, nothing against that, right? And the way I break down the thresholds is like, we have a max aerobic threshold, and then you have a max anaerobic threshold, right? That same thing here, right? Like if I want to go for an extended period of time, I know that my heart rate at 145 is going to stay here. Then if I want to go ahead and produce a higher output and I know it's going to be shorter duration and it's going to be a higher heart rate. So let's go and take a back squat, for example. We go ahead and ask someone to go ahead and do a back squat at 155 pounds for one rep. Let's say that we tell them to do it as fast as they can and they're going to go ahead and we're going to test speed on it, all the other things. We give them a two-minute rest period, and we go ahead and see what the speed is like again. And then we see over time, hey, are they decreasing? Or are they are they increasing in speed over that? Cool. Now let's go ahead and take, take that and go and let's go and increase his aerobic system real quick. And what I mean by that is like, hey, you're still going to be touching those rep schemes. You're going to be doing all that stuff to build your strength. But we're going to go ahead and now see that with you having a better aerobic base, you can recover faster within that two minutes so now that you can uphold that output longer now. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the same pa on the page with you. It's just now tying in that low aerobic work to go ahead and help with recoverability to sustain certain outputs longer duration at that 90%. Is there a crossover for the metabolic systems when it comes to recovery like that? Yeah. So define, uh, I guess, uh, uh, can you clarify your question? What do you mean by 
Well, so a crossover. Yeah, you know, if you're throwing in, um, you know, aerobic work between two or three rep max back squats to try and in- increase your recovery for when you're doing work sets like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, is is there is there a crossover? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, so. That's like a question of programming, right? So um, again, the, the the example we can always go back to is like sprints because. Essentially, uh, yeah, resistance training is a type of sprint. Or you mm-hmm. do something for 40 seconds and then you take three minutes off. Whatever. It's a type of power production. So if you um, really want to focus on power, right, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do a set and I'm going to do it as fast as I can, right? These two reps were done. Um, velocity of the bar went up or velocity of my legs, whatever it is, was fast. Cool. If I'm working on power, I need to take five to six minutes, or however long you need to take in to order for re- power, power to again. be there. Yeah. Now, if we want to work on increasing our ability to recover, then it's like, all right, we're just going to keep going even if you're not fully rested. So as fast as you can, you get a minute, wow. two minutes. As fast as you can, you get two minutes. And so you're going to see a drop off, right? But the training focus there then is my ability to recover as mm-hmm. opposed to my ability to produce maximal amounts of force. So... You know, we can take that in sprinting. We can take that in weightlifting. And that's kind of where the cardiometabolic stuff comes into play is that, well, if we keep rest times low, like what's going to happen? Well, my heart rate's going to get jacked up. I'm going to be breathing a lot heavier. That lactate production is going to come up. And I'm not going to be able to lift as much as I can. But that's because my focus for this week or this training block or today is to have a cardiac uh, benefit as opposed to just focusing on getting bigger that day or something. So you like have that. your powerlifters taking five minutes between their sets. Yeah. So I mean, especially it, it depends, at the higher reps. It depends on the athlete, right? So if someone does have like a good aerobic base, yeah. they're gonna be able to recover more. Yeah. yeah. But if you're like, hey, today we need to make sure that you are hitting ninety five percent as clean as you can, mm-hmm. then you're gonna hit it, and then you're gonna take as much time as you need. So you know, like powerlifters, needed, dude. powerlifters do get a lot of shit, and I and I get it. I was a powerlifter too, where it's like you do a set and you're like, all right, I dig around for ten minutes. Now it's cool. But the science behind that is that, like, yeah, if you need to hit things as well as you need to, then you also need that rest. So it's cool you bring that up, dude, because like uh, I used to coach quite a few weightlifters back when I owned my own gym and stuff like that. And I got to work under Coach Bergner, and one thing that he taught Mike. me, yeah, very, cool. yeah, I'm really cool, close with him, um, but. What one thing I learned with him, and we talked a lot about, was this idea of like, hey, like, there's a difference between competition training and there's a difference between actually getting stronger in training, right? And the reason because of that is the fact that, hey, in competition, I'm hitting 90% plus within a two to three minute time period, depending on where I stack in the numbers. Now, when we go to a national level meet as a in an A session, now things change. We now see a five to six, seven minute time frame between the set attempts, and to keep the system fresh, you have to find ways to do different warm-ups or whatever else to keep that power there, to keep them fresh. But in a strength development phase, when they don't have a competition coming up, giving the athlete, hey, you have three singles at 90% of your one-arm snatch, clean jerk, back squat, front squat, whatever you want to do, but I need you to rest as needed because we're trying to exert as much force as possible of that movement because I need you to get stronger. Now we go ahead and take that athlete from that phase and move them into a competition phase. Now we can start giving them two, three minute, four minutes types thing. That's the reason why you see that EMOM cycle, the Joe Mills, the on the minute cycle at five reps at your 65, 70% 
for five minutes, one rep, or however you want to do it. And then as it gets deeper into it, it starts doing it. That's just a competition prep to go ahead and develop that aerobic system that he has taught, or the anaerobic system to go ahead and produce those power outputs and recoverability that we're looking for in a competition setting. So gathering his perspective and understanding like, hey, where I'm coming from, it's again, it's being able to look at the athlete and what we're situation and our environment is in and how do we approach this with his research that he's done and he's still doing yeah. with what's out there <laughs> now, right? It's like, that's, it's the cool part about that. It's like, no, hundred I agree with you about everything that you're saying right now that we need to do anaerobic power work to do all these things. But at the same time though, if I want to increase that some more when we see a plateau, because now I'm using, I'm trying to use the right words. We see a plateau happen. I can backpedal and go down to the foundation, which is now developing the aerobic system a little bit, still working movement efficiency and quality and patterns. And, teaching the system to be more efficient through whatever they're trying to express. That can be a snatch, clean and jerk. That can be a hundred mile race. It can be whatever, but there's multiple different systems and approaches here that you were asking earlier that I think we'll never have. I think it's just going to come down to us putting things together and making this fucking picture of for that individual. Yeah. It kind of goes back to there's no one size fits all. Right. And then again, even using research as a, as a guide, it's like, well, this was done in a college-aged population, so we don't know what it's like, going to do to someone like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, maybe, maybe like, 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 yeah, like you're like uh, you're acting you're like a, Christian's an eighty-year-old man. No, no, like no, no, no. You look great for no. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's pretty horrible for twenty. He is, he is your outliner, outlier of a college student. Like, if you went to go do a research study from, they'd probably turn you away. Because you uh, don't, what, like, because he doesn't would, fit it would, the... It would depend, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, though, because... Am I trying to skew numbers? <laughs> yeah. Right? See? So, dude, I know we've been... How far are we into this already? We've fucking gone down the, the rabbit holes. But let's bring it back to, like... kind of steered us off a little bit. <laughs> let's bring it back to, like, what is it you're doing currently right now? Yeah, so it's... Uh, what we're doing right now is actually what, what, we ta- we're, what we've been talking about. So um, my research... So my research focuses are cardiometabolic adaptations to resistance training... Um, I really like stuff on ergogenic aids, so how something like uh, a vitamin might help you perform. Uh, I did my master's thesis. Sorry, Dr. Smith, I haven't uh, haven't submitted it for manuscript yet um, mm-hmm. on uh, carbohydrates and how it affects like cheerleading performance. And so, oh. you know, things like that, right? So how can we give you something that allows you to do something better or worse? Um, and then anything resistance training pretty much is is what I do, so... Um, what I'm doing right now is, is more of the focus on the cardiometabolic side and it's how can we get, or is there a way to get cardiac benefits when we do resistance training? And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier about how in the past it was like, don't do resistance training and now it's, or, and then it was, okay, do resistance training, but don't do cardio with it. And now it's like, well, actually you can do them both. And so... Um, my research focus is really on how do we maximize both of those things? Um, and is it possible to, I always, I always joke that like, I'm going to make it so the world never has to run again, uh, only because <laughs> I hate running. Uh, but you know, ca- what kind of adaptations, is there a cap on the adaptations you can get for your heart and like your, um, vasculature? Uh, I believe there is there has with, to be a cap. Yeah. I mean, it has to be. And the, the, the easiest way to go to think about it is like, no amount of resistance training is going to make you able to run an Ironman, right? Like, you can't just curl your whole life and then be like, yeah, I can run a 5K. Fuck no. Like, it's not how it works, but there are um, things that we can do so that you do get the 
the benefits of cardiac training along with resistance training. So we have a we have a program called the Apex Team, and that is my strength endurance concurrent training team that everyone can go on. And it's taken, and it's a two day strength week only with four to five days of cardio work, but it's well cardiovascular work. But in terms of like, de- depending on what the cycle's focused on, it'll go ahead and have a, a, an array of different types of energy system protocols in mm-hmm. it, or we're focusing on just one specific one. What I've seen from that, especially with myself and, and everyone that's followed it so far, I mean, Softly's programming is a big ass research fucking, if you think about it, right? Like, we're like, if you wanted to go look at the program, I can sit there and explain it to you and be like, you could use this first. Like, that's the, th- the cool part about this. The guys will come back and be like, oh shit, that did work. Mm-hmm. Or hey, we tested this on someone before we put it out and it worked. And then all of a sudden we see multiple number of athletes seeing really good gains off it. And what I can what I'm finding right now is uh, I talked to Dr. Brent Avalar over at, uh, he runs the tactical strength conditioning um, courses and he helped write that book for. Oh, the T-Sac? Yeah, the oh, T-Sac okay. stuff. Cool. Yeah, and he created a, and when he was going through his stuff back, way back when, he went against the whole one set and multi-set resistance training produces, like, produces adaptations. So for the longest time, everyone said there was this one set, 20 reps only. That's how we can only get strong. He came in and was like, no, there's multiple sets with rep schemes that are going to help get you strong. So like coming yeah, from yeah. the one set to multiple set thing. What we found with with the apex programming with two days of strength work only and only with is that quality of life is actually increasing right now right like sleep is better they're actually able to stay more consistent um power production in their sport for endurance races is working they're able to hold posture and position better mm-hmm. um there's all these cool things coming out so to hear you sit here and be like yeah like yo resistance training does have another approach or has benefits to someone's endurance goals yeah it's kind of like all right there you go here's another nail in the hammer saying like hey resistance training for the win because i'm not against it i'm all the fucking about yeah. it like i'm not just because i went to the ultra endurance world doesn't mean that i'm not about resistance training like, yeah i mean you never leave the dark side i love snatching <laughs> yeah. like I, I snatched i snatched like i snatched once a week and yeah. clean jerk once a week i literally yeah so i mean I, so on this program it's like it's concurrent training right yeah. so two days you do strength and then the other days you do some sort of i assume endurance endurance work, right? right from anaerobic so, work to aerobic work so i guess that the difference for uh the studies we're doing right now is that like it's strictly resistance training okay. and so how we do resistance training uh like how you do it uh is what causes those those adaptations so going back to um the rest times right if i'm going to keep rest times high then that means my heart rate is going to go back down, it's right? I'm going to relax a lot more. I'm going to be able to produce more. Okay, but if I'm doing, uh, so my thing was on supersets. So if I'm doing three sets of 20, superset with another three sets of 20, you know, doing a set of 20 anything takes time, yeah. right? And then you don't rest and you do more. What's your, so right? what's, like, give us an example of a day. So three sets of X movement, how much rest between, like, how many movements are in the superset? Like, let's give, give yeah. us an example yeah, so, so the re- listeners so can like have that. So, like, the, the study we did uh, was on, like, reciprocal supersets. So it's going to be a push movement superset with, like, a pull movement. Cool. So you're going to bench and then you're going to do a row, right? Cool. So you would do something like three sets. Uh, so you do a set of 20 on the bench and then a sweat set of 20 rowing and then you would take 60 seconds but there's no rest between the no, bench no and the rest row. between the bench and the okay row, right because the super set and then you would take a minute and then you go right back into it and you take a minute go back right into it um the reason we think that there can be increases in um cardiac health is because you don't have time to recover 
right? And even if you are recovering, it's not as well as if you were like taking your two to four minutes that you normally do when you're doing like resistance training, okay? Uh, that as well as, um, this is kind of the nitty gritty is when you get into higher rep ranges, you tend to um, make your muscles more hypoxic. So there's less oxygen delivery because you're occluding, yeah. right? Um, and so when you occlude that, there's like increases in um, this pathway called like VEGF and HIF1-alpha. And they're just like different things that stimulate growth and especially like vasculature growth. It's called angiogenesis. So it's like, whoa, whoa okay, whoa. We need to be able to produce or at least uh, send more oxygen to the muscles. muscles yeah. So how do we do that? We create more highways. What does that mean? Okay, that means more blood vessels, right? We adapt to do that because of the less amount of oxygen that we're getting. So the belief behind cardiometabolic training is we're doing high reps so that you occlude muscle longer, so that we increase HIF1-alpha, so that we increase our ability to increase the uh, transportation of oxygen so that you not only get that, which is all cardio, but you're still getting hypertrophy, which is so the resistance training. Why wouldn't we call it cardio, cardiovascular resistance metabolic training? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I think it's just it's, what it's called. Because it, honestly, right? like when I hear that, I automatically think endurance like energy work, systems. energy systems, right? Instead of being like, because I know exactly what you're talking about. It's things we do here at Softly, right? It's like, hey, go ahead and you have three sets of eight to 12 reps of a specific movement. We'll go ahead and use a ben dumbbell bench press eight to 12 reps of a prone row. Hey, your minute rest is going to be a farmer's carry or Hey, yeah. it's going to go ahead and be a, a prehab movement to go ahead and do that with the minute rest. Cool. Right back into it. All we're doing now is being able to label and being like, Hey, this actually does have benefits for an individual who are doing a specific thing. That's all it's, that's all that's happening right now. Yeah. And, so it's it's crazy, right? It's like it's one of those things. It's like people look at these research methods and things like you're doing, and we'll go ahead and try and be like, well, let's pick it apart. Because I, I wasn't picking it apart. We've been literally having legit conversation about this. Because yeah. it's just, that translational piece. It's just that how, translational yeah, piece. How do yeah. I apply what I've learned now in the real world yeah. with clients? With client with, and with science. Yeah, and so this kind of goes back to that to that uh, that lactate thing about you know, well, I was told this, right, and then science came through and said, well, that's wrong. And then we, we still haven't changed it, but like we're slowly changing the idea. So I think uh, as a scientist, we like to think that like science informs things um, and it doesn't. Science is, I think, inherently always going to be behind yeah. because these things have been around for a long time. The guys on right? the floors are what giving you guys the ideas. Right. Uh, well, kind of, right? Uh, <laughs> He's but, like, wait a minute, pump but the brakes. It's, it's like, you know, someone can come in and say like, oh, this is what it does. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Like I have this new method. And then we go in and test it. And you're like, hey, bro, you're like, full of shit. that's wrong, right? <laughs> or it's right in a different way or yeah. wrong in a different way, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not anything like new. People have been doing supersets for like a really long time. But it's not – we did supersets before because it was going to push blood into the muscle. And I'm air quoting. Uh, <laughs> and push blood into the muscle and that's going to cause the muscle to stretch and that's going to give us hypertrophy, right? That is a load of bullshit because the <laughs> amount of muscle that gets pushed into it does not inherently make your muscles bigger. Uh, but you get a massive pump when you do supersets, right? Well, because it's, you're just so like, it's this pop, like pop, pop, pop. blood's rushing to that area because you are doing trauma to that muscle. That is the reason why we have that. Yeah, not even trauma. You're just it's you're just delivering oxygen, yeah. right? Like you have to you have to have oxygen to do the work. Um, and so 
now it's like, okay, well, supersets are an effective tool. We know that, but it's for a different reason. It's not because it's going to cause hypertrophy. Like, that's all volume. Um, but it's because it might increase our ability to have uh, better, like, heart rate heart compliance. Rate. Okay. Um, might give us more growth in your veins because, like, again, we need more more highways. Um, and it might uh, uh, improve your ability to recover. So it's like the the training methodology is, is correct, but, like... Applying for what it's for is wrong. So the way Um, people are applying it and is the wrong way. They're not utilizing it in the right way. Was yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on uh, because this is a generalization, right? Like, not everyone did a superset because they were like, "I'm gonna get yoked or anything." Um, But you know, it's 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 just like that. Like box jumps is another great example. Is that people are like, "Oh, I'm developing power," and it's like, "Yeah, you're doing box jumps 15 in a row." Is not going to develop your power. You like, have my attention. Doing one rep. <laughs> uh, well, it's, and that goes back to like the, that power thing, yeah. right? So like uh, if you're doing box jumps, generally it's because you want to increase like explosive ability, right? So why would you explode, 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 and do that 20 more times and take no rest? Like your first jump, solid. Your second jump, Maybe pretty good. Your third jump, and it just gets like it's just dog shit from there. You're just kind of like, oh, this hurts. I'm scraping my knees, but I have to do twenty for some reason. Yeah. Uh, does that make you a better jumper? Absolutely not. Right? You going just makes you better doing, at jumping over a box. Yeah. Well, one, it, it like it increases your like it's it's hard, right? Your heart rate gets jacked up, and it's like a quote unquote good workout. Um, but like, if you want to be a better jumper, then going back to the power thing, you take time, you jump. You say, okay, what was good? What was bad about that one? All right, I'm going to take two to three minutes. I'm going to jump again. All right, so it's like a, it's a tool that was utilized or is being utilized incorrectly mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and so these are just like training methodologies barrier. that might be um, being utilized incorrectly. Just different things like that. So like that's a that's an interesting interesting because you know when we talk about this right, we see that hey, everyone's doing 15 box jumps for time. What if it's not even the movement that we're picking just the time domain and then the rest period time domain so it's like hey we know that producing power happens between let's say one to six seconds depending on what what the movement is or whatever we're trying to do sprints can go from anywhere between six all the way up to what where we really truly potentially show our expression of power fully what say someone's 30 seconds or so I mean, for like a sprint, like 10 seconds. Ten, but that's yeah. what I'm saying, though. Like you have on the long end, 30 seconds, and the short end, we have all the way, we can all go down to fucking six seconds if you want. But the cool thing about that, right, is like what if we just go ahead and look at the time domain instead of looking at the exercise that we do give them to have some kind of transferability into it. So we know the sprinter is working this 10-second domain because that's what they need to express power for. We can go ahead and take a back squat and be like, hey, I need you to do a back squat at this weight for 10 seconds as fast and as <laughs> As, as well as possible without breaking down, that can now have transferability into his sprint because the time domain that we are working has something. And then I pick the exercise that does have a transferability to make him better at sprinting in that 10 seconds besides just sprinting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, they're all tools. That's right? what it is, yeah. Like how, how you utilize them is, is what's going to make the difference in uh, whether it actually makes you a better sprinter, jumper, or lifter, or whatever. Um, but even then, it's like that. there's so many variables, right? Because, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to do 10 to 15 squats as fast as possible. Right? Or not even our seconds I talked about. Oh, like, okay. So, yeah, even yeah, no. Then, right? So everything was by seconds, time domain. So, so if seconds, we know that that individual's max sprint 
is 10 seconds, right? He put out his sprint. He did a sprint. It was 10 seconds. Cool. We now stay to train within that time domain with your approach with, hey, with this resistance training in this. And we, okay, instead of going by rep schemes, we now go by seconds. Cool. Yeah. The thing with that then is how do you pick the weight? Right. How do you pick whether it's going to be a high bar or low so bar? So what if, do what if we don't like even use weights of- and it just kind of now we go to where, hey, how well can you express this, whatever you're doing with holding position in the proper way so that you do develop the strength and power so that you can now run better? Because it's going to change for everybody. For him, I could have him do air squats as fast as possible in 10 seconds. And I can also have him do back squats at 95 pounds for 10 seconds. Yeah. It's going to change the contraction speed, obviously. Then we have your girlfriend come and do something like that, it's going to be completely different also, right? It's like trying to, like you said, what is that weight that we use for specific? It's just changes. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I guess it's just kind of like, it's, it's just a, I don't know, man, it's with programming for now going on for like, I guess you can say pretty much almost eight years consistently. It's like really kind of just open the doors to like what the research says and then trying to see what it says on this side and being able to just kind of mesh it all so that we can continue putting out evidence-based programming that we're doing because that's what the goal is here for us yeah, is evidence-based absolutely. training. And we harp on that. And it's kind of like, cool, like you're literally taking something that we do in our programming already and you're testing it to show results that it actually does work right. in a scientific way instead of a anecdotal way. Well, yeah, and again, it's like it works, but in what way? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, like that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. Thing. Like are the claims that people make true? Yeah. Or are they just blowing smoke everybody's ass and just like yeah. whatever else? I yeah. feel like it's really common in, in both training and nutrition. And like don't base the reason you pick a methodology whether it's diet or exercise based off of false claims that well, drives me nuts i take all my diet advice from influencers uh oh. it's can we go have lunch next after <laughs> this together can like, we just keep geeking all right, out that's the end of the podcast we're <laughs> no longer friends um i don't know who that was nice knowing you yeah like i have to live in a hotel now for the next couple of days um no yeah i i think even something like um Oh, I lost my train of thought. What were we just talking about? We're talking about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Influencers um, dieting. No, no but like <laughs> utilizing like... I never forget about that. Having anecdotal experience and and, and results. Because there is a thing as oh, yeah, anecdotal yeah, yeah. results Sorry. and scientific results. Sure, yeah. And a lot of times people look at these as two separate things and it's kind of like, well, hey guys, the way they got their study done was through anecdotal results just in a scientific study that was controlled (laughs) for most people, right? It's kind of like I didn't have a scientist oversee my program to see the results happen. But now we can... (laughs) I mean, and I'm all open to it. Like I'm I'm at that point now, dude, where it's like, hey, let's do some, let's let's collaborate and let's do some studying on some shit and be like, hey, let's do this. And that, well, it's funny and... The diet world, I feel like it's a lot more low risk unless you have some type of pre-existing health condition. But if someone's like, hey, I heard this thing, and if I do a shot of apple cider vinegar every morning, like, will this happen? And I'm like, well, the research says no, but it's so (laughs) low risk and cheap and if you, if you really want to torture yourself if, that if, way, if your then mind do it. tells yeah. you that it's what you want to do, then fucking do it. Yeah, that, and the research is changing all the time, and I think it's hard to do this type of research because, especially diet studies, a lot of it is really just food frequency questionnaires and things like yeah. that. Because you can't put someone in a bubble and control yeah. every little thing they put in their mouth or every movement they make. It's, you pay it's me difficult. One million yeah. dollars. Yeah. The thing yeah. is like, I'll fucking do no it. one has the money yeah. to do. Like, it's very frustrating. Actually, no, I'll do, do it for free. They, they do have those those studies, but they're super expensive mm-hmm. because not only are you paying them for them t- their time, you're paying the food that they're eating and it's all structured and stuff. And it's like 
it's like a giant calorimetry room. So like you know how much heat is being produced, you know. And so from there you can be like, okay, they're burning X amount of calories because of like all that. these fucking variables. You're like a lab rat. Well, yeah, it's the same. That's exactly. It's what literally you are. what it is. Yeah. It's like you literally become. There's movies and shows out there that are like that. It would it be kind the of bubble boy. The bubble boy. One of my favorite old movies. Well, and this um, kind of goes like we're talking. Like I enjoy the aspect of research nowadays. Like it's really fun to deep dive into research, especially with. You like to read research. I, I thank you for <laughs> yeah. yes. I like to read research, right? I like to understand a, a research. And there. there's a difference, right? Yeah. I like to read research. I'm sorry. I like to read research because of the fact that it does open those doors to understanding. Like, oh yeah, what's happening here also probably happens here. And how do we bridge the gap for all those things? Because that's the problem right now is like when I look at the, we can call the fitness space industry and what we have going on from diet influencers to scientists, influencers who think they're scientists, but they're not. And then you got coaches who are whatever else. It's like, wait a minute, guys. Like if you guys just worked all together, you guys could be doing something really fucking cool. I feel like the bang energy influencers are real credible and bring something valuable to the uh, table. Honestly, Yikes. I would give up my PhD if I could just become a bang energy. So, <laughs> so bang, if you're listening out there, uh, <laughs> hit your boy up. Easy now. Easy. We're not We're that big on a podcast. We're really proud of you. Yeah. Make sure to tag bang now just for that. You gotta listen to a full uh, hour first. Well, I have a question for you, Ro. Yeah. How long does it take from idea to study to writing down the thoughts and analyzing the data? How long is that realistically? uh, And so this this is why uh, I didn't mean to dig on you when I said like, well, you love to read research. Oh no, no, I fucking killed it. There's a there's this this, like meme or comic I read like years ago, and it was like a stick character that was like, oh, I love science, and it's like, oh yeah, like you love science, and it's like, yeah, it's really cool. And it's like, no, you think science is sexy, right? Like you you see it walk by, you take your thing, and then you're like, all right, cool, I'm heading out. Someone who loves science is like in there. They're yelling at their computer. They're saying all these, the results suck. I fucked up my stats. Like, And that's love, right? Because you're like, all right, I still want to do this, you know? Um, so how long it takes is, is really dependent on the study, uh, obviously. But for um, for reference, my... Uh, Superset study was like back in February. We like came up with this idea. Like, 2019. Cool. Uh, yeah, we're in Yeah, yeah. Back in February 2019, um, we came up with this idea, and then so from there you have to come up with a plan, right? Like, okay, we have a hypothesis. Easiest part, right? I think A is gonna do B, whatever. <laughs> um, then you have to write up the entire thing and say, okay, this is our method, and then you have to go and check what other people have done to see if it's been done already. Um, or if there's like credence to it. Uh, then once it's written up, you have to submit it to an IRB. And the IRB, uh, every university has one. They pretty much, the Institutional Review Board, they make sure that what you're doing is ethical, right? Yeah. So you're not hurting someone. It is for the good of science. And it's not just like, <laughs> no, we just want to stab people and see how they bleed, you know? Like just, <laughs> it has to have some sort of relevance. Um, they say it's okay but here's a bunch of edits you have to make okay fine that takes weeks to months depending on how many edits depending on how fast you work and then from there you recruit so then you have to make sure that you're recruiting the right people uh based on the population you're trying to get so you have to get the right sample um and then even then you have to make sure that they all go through it so if it's four uh sessions they have to come in for they make it to the third one, and they're like, oh, you know, actually, I'm going to California for two months, so sorry. And you're like, all right, cool, thanks, we were almost done. Um, and then you have to do that for 20, 30, 40 more people, right, depending on how many people there are. So 
we did all of that. And by that time, it was uh, August. So from February to August was just like creating it, collecting data. And then from there, we analyze it. So stats is like you press a button, you're like, fuck yeah, it's done. But then it takes like time to actually read into it and say like, okay, are there any errors that are going on? Um, Deviations, all that crazy Yeah, and nonsense. so like, yeah, all that stuff that like, I'm, we're not statisticians and I, I fucking hate, hate, I hate that stats. class. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the worst. But then even after that, like you have your results and you're like, okay, like what does this mean now? So then you spend a month or two writing your discussion and writing the entire thing. And then you send it off to everyone that's on your team and they all rip it apart. And they say, well, this is wrong. Or you forgot to mention this. So the lactate thing I had written in there, like maybe it's because they're males and females, right? Uh, and then uh, Bree, who's one of the smartest people I know, was like, well, actually, like maybe it's just because, uh, you know, it's the size of muscle. And then just because somebody has low lactate doesn't mean that they're low, um, like they, they put out low amounts, but it say, could yeah. be could be that they are um, actually just utilizing it more. So there, there are all these things in a paper that you can say, and then it's, well, actually, that's wrong, or write it better. So after all those edits, okay, we, I submitted it in December. So that took, uh, <laughs> that took uh, almost uh, 10, 10, 11 months. And then from there, once you get everyone's okay, you submit it to a manuscript, or uh, you submit your manuscript to a journal. And then in that journal, they decide whether they like it or not. Uh, so you give it to JSCR, the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research, and then so they're going to say automatic accept or automatic automatic reject. So if like it's a uh, if I go in there with some study that isn't relevant to the journal, then they just say, hey, you're it's the wrong place, send it somewhere else. Or they say, okay, cool, we like it. So that's first door, awesome. Next, they send that off to two or three reviewers, and those two or three reviewers will take way too much time. Uh, to uh, <laughs> read it and pick it apart. And then so from there, both reviewers have to say accept. And if they accept it, and it's never just accept how it is. It's always accept with major revisions, accept with minor revisions, or reject. And so you're always hoping for an accept with minor revisions, but you will absolutely take accept with major revisions because then you can just be like, cool, I'll switch this, whatever, send it back. And then it becomes a back and forth for a month or two, um, you know, it was good, just switch this up. But if it's an automatic reject or if one person rejects it, then you have to go to another journal. So you can't just, like, fix it and send it back to that. So there's, like, tiers. And so maybe you'd go down to, like, a, a lower-tier journal, fix what they fixed or fix what they gave you, if they give you anything. Some reviewers are like, this is bullshit, reject, and give you no feedback. And you're like, cool, that was 11 months of my life, just wasted. <laughs> but then you put it somewhere else, and then it's that same process again reject except if you get rejected you just keep moving down because it is data right yeah. and it's important uh that we do scrutinize these these tests that we're doing um but you know I, I think some people also like to be like a gatekeeper of knowledge and we should be but just to be like no i don't agree with this it's it's bad there could be to, a power struggle kind yeah, of thing. yeah yeah and and i had a no student way. i had a yeah never <laughs> in science no and- uh, I had a student ask me, he was like, well, because uh, we had a, a different manuscript that was rejected. And he's like, well, what if it was like someone that's like really endurance based? And our our uh, research had to do with like resistance training. It's like, what if they just like didn't like it because of some like inherent bias? And you're like, yeah, it's part of the game. That's fucking, yeah. Like they rejected it and then that was it. 
So it's also kind of a bias system, not only because that would have been really cool though, but would have been really cool. Like, like just having different, like taking that idea of like taking different people from different sports and having them do the resistance thing, like you said. Yeah. And, and like, so again, with it being a bias system, like you get to pick or you can, um, you get to choose who you want. You can choose like two, two people that you think would like, like it. Right. So you can, you can try and play strategically like, oh yeah, this is going to get passed. But you know, they do that because, so like I sent it to the two people that were on the manuscript that we based it off of it because they know it. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense sense for me to send it off to someone who does heat acclimation studies and is like, I don't know shit about this. So why are you sending (laughs) it to me? But these people can really scrutinize it and be like, Hey, actually uh, you misread our stuff and maybe that's why this was wrong. Um, so we're going to accept it or reject it, whatever, but at least it was them who did it. And then you're like, Oh, okay, this makes sense. Cause it came from the source that I want it to. Um, but, but you don't get to tell, they don't yeah. tell you who does it. So, so are you for how far along in this process are you? So, uh, for like that superset manuscript, mm-hmm. uh, I submitted it and I'm just waiting for reviewers. That's why I said it's too long. But if you're listening, take your time. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm just waiting to hear back from the reviewers. So hopefully the email right. I get is that, hey, congrats, it's been accepted with revisions. But I don't know, we're kind of on a on a pretty poor streak where we've been getting a lot of rejections lately. Um, but that's just research. Why do you? So. Yeah, why do you think that is? What is? Is it? Do you believe that the? Do you believe that it is actually a polit uh, politic? Uh, politics politic game no. in terms of like hey this is what's out in the industry right now and this is not going to be helpful <laughs> no i think that um like i do have a, a positive view on science i have to right like yeah. yeah this is what i feel works um i think some of it is just that like as as reviewers we do have a lot of things going on and so maybe we're not giving it as much energy like, or yeah thought process right so it, yeah. sometimes we get reviews that are like Bro, did you even read our study? Like that has that was not in there. Like, why are you saying that about it? So it's like, well, why are you guys uh, using untrained and trained people? It's like we didn't. We only use trained people. But like, you can't retort that. It's just That's we've already made bummer. our decision. Yeah, wow. we made I feel a decision, like there should be a dialogue. Yeah, and like, ideally, but again, because they do get a lot of research that comes in, you kind of just have to. And, you know, we're it's hoping more, that they're I, doing it to the best of their ability. Do you think it like, has yeah. to do with wording the way you write your abstract and the approach to it ha- is the is the byproduct of what your results are from this re- res- this review that they send things back? Right. Like w- like what was it in your abstract or your in your paper, or your research that automatically led them to being like, well, did you like not talk about that? Like those are the questions, right? Because yeah. like now it's like, how do I re-question myself on this? Like, well, they're they obviously are having a question if this is a trained or untrained individual that I stated in there. Yeah. So like uh, in my program, we have like Dr. Maria, Dr. Kravitz, Dr. Gibson, um, Dr. Amarim, and they're all like really strong writers, right? <laughs> and then uh, people in my program are all very strong writers as well. Like they kind of beat that into us, uh, and so it's harder for me to believe that like the writing itself was off just because we all tear each other's stuff apart yeah. and we're like, Hey, that doesn't make sense. Um, but the thing is, it's also hard because we work so close together that I can be like, Oh, that's what he meant to write. I assume that's what that's, it is. So the assume, right? okay. um, so my buddy, Zach, his manuscript, the, the, he thought it was really, I mean, it was well written. Um, but one of the comments he made is like, I guess I should have just like hand held a little more. Right. So like, because you assume people know these things and yes, they're researchers and they, they should know these things or they do know these things, 
but we're putting it out to the body of knowledge. So we can't just be like, yeah, you're missing a whole chunk here, but they're going to get what you mean. Yeah. Um, and that kind of differs from person to person because in my writing, I do have a lot of assumptions that I'm just like, I don't have to write about that. I know you know that. And then for someone in my program to come in and be like, hey, people don't know that or Assume it's not no clear. one knows anything. Yeah, but it's also like, with research, right, you can go on so many rabbit holes and then be like, we just didn't. <laughs> you're like, well, what's the point of the study? And you're like, oh shit, that's right. Well, you know, now I got to cut out four pages of stuff I wrote because well, it doesn't matter. So that, like, that's with you being a researcher, because that's literally what you, you do. What are some of the boundaries that you do set up for yourself so that you don't fall into that rabbit hole? Because I, from just us conversating and the variables that I brought out when we were having out there making coffee and then mm-hmm. to in here now, what are some of those things that you have to put for yourself? Because it has to be something. Yeah. So I think it all starts with uh, how you structure what you want to do. Right, so your hypothesis have to ha- has to have a clear direction, clear and concise. Right, direction. your research study has to have a clear focus. So if you uh, there's some people that um, will just do uh, like a study, whatever it is, and then they'll find like 90 interesting things, and they're like, okay, well we'll just write about that instead. So then they create like four or five manuscripts out of this one thing. And that almost inherently goes against the scientific method because but, you didn't ask a question. You just took these answers and said, all right, well, let's see what we can do with this. Like ch- It's almost like cherry but picking, does, right? But yeah. does, well, but, I don't know if it's so much cherry picking, but it's like, oh, this is something we were not focused on uh, and it's not what our study was on, but I can write about it and I can get a publication. That's what I was about oh, to say is like that shit is what gets published. Yeah, I mean, uh, right? there's like, a lot of good stuff that there, gets published too. But there's so. all exactly right. Like, yeah. and there's something I heard. Uh, I heard from Doctor Robert. I forget his last name. Spaskinski, I think he's a big time uh, anthropologist and everything else. And he says enough quantity invents quality. Yeah, yeah, which is a great way to think about it, right? Because you have all these results that came out, and you were only looking at one, and then you're like, oh, all right, I can write about this. Because it's that's the one that's going to take it, right? It's yeah. kind of, and, and I, I, a multifaceted approach with research right there, right? Let's go ahead and ask all these questions, because I know I'm going to get 90 fucking answers, yeah. and out of those 90 answers, let me pick which one that I like. Yeah. It's the same thing with like writing programs for Softly, written over fucking... M- f- I can say I think that's a number. It's a number. (laughs) But out of those quantity of programs, there's only certain ones that like, and let's be honest, right? There's ones that people are drawn to because it produced some kind of quality, right? It's, it's it's the same thing that I was looking at research. That makes all the sense, right? It's like, cool, you are doing, because now you can take from this research study if you wanted to and open the doors to other things. If it can, if it did come back with, hey, I needs, and it's, it needs to have it reviewed and all this other stuff and it didn't get accepted. Then you can now take it back and be like, all right, what can I use to spin this better so it can get published? Yeah, I mean, it's all a game, right? And, and uh, it's a good game, you know? I don't, want it to, I don't want people to be like, oh, I knew science is bullshit. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, you do your best to take what you put a lot of time and energy into and, and throw it out to the world and say like, hey, it was right, you know? So sometimes it's just that you get a... Uh, a reviewer who's like, I just don't like your writing. And so for that reason, I'm going to reject you. When like maybe 95% of the population would have been like, that makes so much sense to me. It's just kind of the luck of the draw. Um, but I think going back to like how we set those those guardrails. Um, so every, every uh, test has like a null and an alternative hypothesis. So the null is just that like it's not true. Yeah. Right? And that's really all that we can test because... The alternative is that, well, it's true, but to like what degree? Yeah. And so you can't just be like, 
oh, well, we found out it's true. So uh, that means that it's, you know, you just run off with it and like make all these grand assumptions yeah. when it's like, well, really, it should just be yes or no. And then from there, you start another study that yeah. says, mm-hmm. okay, to what degree? And then from there, in what training study or whatever. Yeah. So that's a huge thing. And then also... Um, I did find myself even with the lactate stuff being like, I don't know, man, I think it might be like male, female and just kind of like getting rooted in in the scientific dogma of like everyone else is wrong. We have evidence saying that it's right. Um, And like did have to pull away because uh, Roberto, one of my uh, good friends, was was, um, reviewing my stuff and he was like, this just sounds like you're advocating for that. And I was like, oh, boy, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, oops. Right. So then you step back and you say. Again, going back to the discussion, it's right based on this, but it's also wrong based Again, on this. Again, it's utilizing the right words in the right yeah. places to go ahead and see that. So it's like you're trying to put your own biases out, which is hard to do as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's the only way you create quality studies is that you're like, hey, wherever the cards fall, they fall. Like I'm not yeah. trying to be like, let's get all these mega athletes to come in and skew the data so that we can say, yeah, for sure it's males. Yeah. But, you know. Like, my That's question inherent to the, person. the girlfriend, the, your girlfriend's on the, on the speaker now. She's like, God Casey. damn it. <laughs> Hello, Casey. Um, coming from the, cause you're a nurse and coming from that background and actually working with chronic ill individuals and hearing like the research studies, how does that help with your perspective in that? Right. And research, cause you're going to school to become NP, nurse NP. practitioner, but I don't, I don't start until May. So word, word your question, what do you mean? So like listen to his side mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. and then seeing how people are not keeping themselves healthy. Yeah. You talked about it yeah. earlier, yeah. right? Like, hey, I want to help them do yeah. a specific thing. But when they leave here, they forget all mm-hmm. about it. I feel like you see the total opposite. Bad <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like hearing all this and then going and seeing that. And unfortunately, um, uh, with influencers and people are thinking, I've had I actually had a like a thirty minute conversation with one of my patients the other day because she was in heart failure and she was trying to she's like oh I'm gonna start a keto diet and that's the total opposite you do not need high fat high salt if you are in heart failure that's you need low fat low salt um, and carbohydrates are good for you anyways <laughs> but I was talking to her I was like the thing is is you are going to go 100% for one or two weeks, and then that's not sustainable. So I'm like, why don't we break down your diet and your exercise right now and see if we can just do tiny little tweaks? That's all I'm asking for. I'm like, that's all anyone is asking from you from right now. Like, just, like, I was like, well, what do you get from McDonald's? And she got, like, a like a, a double, I don't even know McDonald's men- menus. I was like, well, why don't we just say, hey, next time let's just not get mayonnaise. Anything like that. I mean, 100 calories here, 100 calories there. Is there a time that you can, like, just take the stairs at work? Is there a time that you can move around, like, get that 250 steps in an hour that your Fitbit's like, oh, you know? That's all. I'm I'm like, because if you leave the hospital and you think you're going to fix this chronic illness that you've had for 10 years and not done anything about, what makes you think that you're going to fix everything in a week? Like, that's what is such a big deal to me. I'm like, just change something. Well, and that's, it's because it's, mm-hmm. it, and then now it's because, like, hearing the research about Oh, yeah, things, definitely, definitely. It, that's where it comes into. So, like, you're in the trenches literally mm-hmm. seeing chronic illnesses mm-hmm. and trying to change it mm-hmm. in that realm where it's like, man. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's research out mm-hmm. there. No one wants to read it. No one wants to take accountability and, again, read the research mm-hmm. so they can make their own decisions. Because there's multiple studies out there that yeah. say, hey, if you eat... 
high fat and salt while you have fucking heart problems, yeah, you're exactly. probably just digging your hole exactly, a lot harder. Exactly. But well, I think he's Ro has this like perfect lab and he controls everything definitely. and mm-hmm. he picks the people oh, he wants like to, to think, work but with. It doesn't. Well, that's, I mean, I know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, cool yeah. part, though, right? Is like you're literally like I, I've always wanted to sit down with somebody and talk about mm-hmm. these things. But especially. it's like your yeah, it's like your little incubator. Whereas sure. I think as healthcare providers or even you know trainers or fitness instructors. It should be part of what we do, like you're saying, to educate people mm-hmm. on the small mm-hmm. changes that really matter. Because yeah. if you tell someone you should never eat McDonald's ever again, they're probably going to have a breakdown. Right. That's yeah, like yeah. their go-to <laughs> thing. <laughs> so you can't do that. You can't. We tell Ro, you're not allowed to do any resistance training for the next month. Yeah. He would have a mental breakdown. Yeah. Uh, well, I've had to do it multiple times in my life, and none of them have been good times. So. <laughs> he then yeah, he goes to McDonald's. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think kind of going back to that and... and looping back to the cardiometabolic stuff so um you know we we know the benefits of cardio like we we know it that's what the exercise science uh field was built on you know because before it was like heart important sure heart now whatever but there's so so much information about it now. yeah Yeah. um but there's the evidence on resistance training is sorely lacking right um but one of the main takeaways for cardiometabolic training or just resistance training is that hey look there's so many people that just fucking hate running. So if you can get heart health benefits by doing something that they like to do, which is resistance training, then do it. Yeah. Right? If we're talking about public health and if you if if you have to say, "Hey, the only way to get your blood glu- uh fasting blood blu- blood glucose down is that you have to run." They're going to be like, "Fuck you. Give I'm me, not running. Give me diabetes." You know yeah. what I mean? They're like, "Whatever." <laughs> but if we can say, "Actually, well, um you can do that from resistance training, and then also this is how keep your rest times a little lower so that we can increase the the effect of it. Then people are like, okay, well that's what I like to do. I will be able to do that one, two, three, four times a week. And so yeah, like it's it's data, it's important research, but you're right how how to actually utilize it and how to put it into practice so that people are healthier is like a whole other game. Um, because someone could bastardize it and be like, yeah. you have to do it this way. And that's, you know, Brooke and I were talking about it this morning or last night. That's how influencers happen is that they go to one side of the spectrum and they say, this is it. I have an answer for you. Well, that's Whereas what everyone's for me, looking for. Like, we right? don't have an like answer. Like her yeah. example of that individual with heart disease was, yeah. like, hey, I, I'm going to go keto. First off, my first question would be like, where did you listen to that or hear that on Instagram? Second, be like, I'd fucking punch you in the face. Just kidding. (laughs) But, dude, it's... Was that nursing (laughs) license real quick? Yeah, (laughs) right? This is how nurses really are. But it's... You're right, right? What I love the fact that you said is like, how do we get someone to work out? Right? How do we get... They don't want to run. Right? Cool. You don't want to run. Fine. How do we get that metabolic training that we need so that you do have a quality of life? Right. And that's it's funny Like you brought it up. It's like, well, I know that a lot of strength guys that follow our strength programming don't always like to do our stamina sessions because hate it. They hate it because, again, I'm a strength dude and I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, okay, cool. How can I go ahead and implement something that's going to go ahead and give them the responses and adaptations that I'm looking for? But so they can see it, right? It's all, again, the perception of what it is. And it's cool. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, cool. Four rounds of eight single arm dumbbell bench presses per arm with a farmer's carry into, you know, something else where it's like, yeah, we are supersetting stuff. We're developing different types of contrast between yeah. muscle mass. Muscle we're secretly building your capacity. But you're literally yeah. secretly building the yeah. capacity 
to go ahead and give you these responses we want. And I, and unfortunately, everyone, like when people see program, they're like, oh, that doesn't look fun to me. When there's actually legit evidence and science behind this and why we're doing this, because again, at the end of the day for me, and I don't know about you guys, but I want to have a, a healthy quality of life, meaning that, <laughs> nah, that like, yeah, like I'm that, <laughs> that like my heart works really strong. I have strong muscles and that like, you know, everything's firing, yeah. right? Like that is the end state of all of this, right? If that's what your research is doing, because you just said it right now, right? All I'm trying to do is get someone who doesn't want to run for them to realize that research says that if you do this resistance training with this type of rest, it will lick this kind of response, end state. That's it. Cool. We just gave someone another key to a door so they can continue working. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's kind of the uh, two camps in exercise science. One is like the health for like, obviously we know how potent exercise is for, for healthiness. Um, and potent. I love that people, word. people sure. tend to, you know, go that way because it is money and you do, or there is money as far as grants go when it comes to like fighting diabetes, fighting CVD risks and everything. Um, and then there's the other camp that's like, yeah, screw health. I just want to see how much stronger and faster people can get. Uh, and, that's, and that's cool. That's where I'm at. You know, that's uh, cool. <laughs> it just if I'm being honest, you know, the the health stuff I'm always like is is a consequence to all the stuff that I want to know. But it's a good consequence, right? Well, what if, so we can so say that. This is where I play devil's advocate because what if it's not? What if you can stay healthy and have a high quality of life, competing at a high level and finding those things? And then be able to walk away from that competition aspect and from being stronger, fitter, and faster, now being able to transfer into the health and wellness. Because what we're seeing, right, and for me personally, again, it's all, it's it's just what we see from our own view. But what I'm seeing right now is everyone's getting confused that, oh, to be a sport, to be the fastest, stronger, fittest person in the fucking world, I have to sacrifice everything. When it's like, no, what if we just slowed all these processes down to where we elevate everything at the same time? So instead of you peaking in two years, you actually peak in five years to now allow for the proper responses that are actually going to make you healthier long term. Like I just listened to a podcast with uh, Magnus vs. Magnus. You know, I'm talking about the world's strongest man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. head over to nonprofit uh, podcast. They just did a podcast with him. And he sits there and talks about he has competed since he was a young kid all the way up to about 43 years old. And he talks about how he did that. And it was through building and developing athleticism. It wasn't, and he's like, that's, so that right there, he was like, yeah, I'm in the top of my world in my sport because I inhibited and I was able to promote and raise my athleticisms in running. And like, and I'm just using examples like he talked about, yeah. right? Like he was like, my, my 100% were competition days. He's like, and I competed a lot. He's like, and then my training days were 60, 70, 80% efforts. Yeah. He's like, but I threw in, he's like, he even talks about it. he hates running, but he believes in sprints. Yeah. So there's another research aspect of someone who's lived it being like, no, we can compete at a high level and be healthy. It just is a slower process. And you have to be okay with like, okay, I'm not going to peak in two years. I'm going to peak in four years now. Instead is, I think, a, a healthier approach to looking at that competition side, right? And that's why I was like, and that's why I've been trying to like, I've been really conversating with this because like I do see that's where you're at. You want to make people faster, stronger and being like, this is the way to do it. Right. So so I think that's kind of switching gears a bit. But so I agree. Um, and when it comes to gen pop people who are like, oh, I just want to squat 500 by the time I'm 30. It's like, well, why? Like, I mean, you're, you're not. Well, let's do it. You're not doing anything for. Well, like I'm 20, <laughs> I'm 26, right? Or I'm 27. But like that person is like, I'm 26 in four years. I'm going to squat 500 pounds. You're like, why? 
Like, you why have, is your goal? Why is that your goal? Why See, is it your goal? I've, and then, like, why does it have to be 30? Because going back to your thing, right? Yeah. And so if you're like, hey, if I can say at 35 or at 40, you're able to do that, it doesn't that sound better? Yeah. And, you know, we're human so we want stuff now so of course not you're like why the hell would i do that i can't for 10 amazon years? prime a back yeah. squat pr <laughs> yeah. but that's the thing is oh, man, like... i'd be out of money if, uh, if amazon <laughs> could just give me gains but like, that's yeah, the cool part just... behind this though is like be like cool with your research right like being like you know we can get you there in five years but understand these are going to be the risks that you're going to be a, be approached with yeah and by doing so but here are the less risks that you have now by going at 35 for a 500 pound back squat but, but i think that like if you were to ask anybody who's in the Olympics right now that, because uh, I remember, I can't remember the quote and I can't remember the number, but they asked them, uh, if I could give you a drug right now that would guarantee first place, but you would die within the next five years, would you take it? Like 70% of them said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're chasing Because fucking... that's their thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there are sacrifices that you do have to make to become the top of the world. Um, and when we think about like peak athleticism, that's generally in like your, you know, late teens, mid twenties. And then after that, it's just down. But, but like yeah. for someone that does world's strongest man, like strength we see like has the ability to to continue as you age. Right. We have like uh muscle cells that develop more, they mature more. So depending on the sport, you do have twenty, thirty years. Yeah. But some other ones, like a gymnast, you can't have a a thirty year old gymnast like her joints are messed Done. up because yeah. of specialization. Yeah, and like so agility like, and reaction time. Yeah, well, exactly. that's like all that stuff yeah. decreases. So for Gen Pop, yeah, super good to be like, hey, let's think about it long term. For someone who's like, I have two years to get my one shot. You're like, fuck it, let's go. Yeah, but I mean, this is yeah. what's gonna happen. We've, we've all come, I've come from there, and yeah, it's like kind absolutely. of now it's I like I can't walk straight most days. Well, now, <laughs> now I'm looking forward is like I want to go ahead and be able to back squat whatever I back squat at the age of fucking forty. Yeah, and but like because like, like at the age of thirty one right? right now, dude, I'm the healthiest I've ever been since I was fifteen. Yeah, like let's just be completely fucking honest. Yeah. and it's kind of like well, it's been the approach to like blending the aspect of resistance training with cardio training with just being athletic, right? Like it's, it's, but you also have, uh, history on your side. It, right? it, uh, like, that's again. So like with sports worked, psychology, well, yeah. So that's the thing was with me going so far down the hole with sports psychology right now, what we're looking at is like cool stress history, personality, and, uh, injury history has a lot to play with who we are when we go ahead and look to try and reach optimal peak athleticism. Yeah. Right. And let's be honest, like is, is there, there, everyone's all broken themselves re looking for it. There's no one that's been able to say I've reached peak athleticism and then be able to walk away and be like, I'm 100%. There's, a, there's yeah. always a cost from it. In my sports psych book, there was a quote that said, there's two kinds of athletes, uh, one that's hurt and one that hasn't got hurt yet. So like, eventually you just get hurt. It's yeah. part of the game, right? Um, but I think going back to your point about like healthy living and lasting longer, um, we can see the, the Tom Brady's and the LeBron James's who they do a lot of stuff wrong as far as strength and conditioning. We know that, but they recover super well. well again, recoverability. Like, you're right? able to be still an elite player like late into your 30s. Like that's unheard of. Mm -hmm. You dominated the league since you were 18. It, that's unheard. But of. that's my question. Now. I was like, hey, I want to see what your strength conditioning programming is. Like, because you know what, I don't look at strength conditioning as a one size fits all. I look at it sure. as like, cool. I have all these different types of methods and principles that have been thrown at me, and I'm going to go ahead and create my own left and right lateral limits from it and see what I develop. Like for instance, like right now, I'm I'm not following a structured training program. Just probably like. Tom Brady and LeBron James, like they've done what has worked for them over time to get them where they're at. 
right? And why they're at that point. But it would go back to me like, hey, I would love to see what you're training and see the fucking chaos that you do in the gym or whoever your coach is that gives this to you because there is, there has to be some type of process behind it for them to see that to be like okay, cool because we can go and take uh deon sanders or was it deon i forgot who it was i was going through a pr pri course um and pri postural restoration institute course okay, like yeah, so yeah. with with it and what they did was, was they put an individual under anesthesia or they made him whatever else and they showed how flexible he was from turning his brain off and then they went and got and woke him up out of this this and then had him test again and he literally couldn't touch his toes or the, the flexibility range motion was lessened. And it, it came down to, all right, cool, if we go ahead and have that I have that side of the brain turn off, we now can increase range of motion in a lower stress environment. But realistically what I ended up finding out was they down the later on in the research, they actually had him lose power. That that receiver in his sprint decreased his time because they made him more flexible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know who it was, but that's what they did. I forgot who it was, but they put him through anesthesia and they put him down. They tested his range of motion. He was like really flexible, and they wouldn't test him again without it. He was not flexible at all. They're like, oh, we got to increase his fucking range of motion, increase his range of motion, and he lost like a, like two like tenths of a second, like multiple tenths of a second on his sprint. Yeah, and I mean, that goes to sports specificity, right? Like, why would we make a football player as flexible as a dancer? You know, and, you know, there are extremes, but if if you need to be fast, if you need to be able to jump, like, it's sometimes better to be a little more tightly wound up. A little like bit more a rigid, coil, right? right? Yeah. Um, and there are people that will argue all day and night about, like, well, that's wrong. You should have fluidity in your system. It's like, well, you should, but, like, should you be completely flexible? You need some friction in your Maybe life. not, right? But it's also, what what is flexibility? Uh, all the kids that go and do the, the, <laughs> the testing, um, so they have, like, health, health tests uh, that we give out uh, during my weightlifting class and they come back and they, they all are like, oh, my sit and reach sucks. Like, I should work on that. And I'm like, why? Why does that matter to you? Like, it, it doesn't mean anything. Also, there's a billion ways to cheat a sit and reach, to cheat a sit and reach test. So, I remember well, those from grade school. You know, yeah. the presidential fitness. Yeah. That's funny. Like, I mean, the fact that you can do a pull-up, fantastic. Like, that's good, right? You have strength to move throughout your system. The fact that you can go limp and like touch your toes, <laughs> whatever, dude. Yeah, like, I don't know, man. It's matter. it's crazy, dude. It's like a, it. I don't. Know, it's just a it's a full circle for me today. Just kind of hearing you talk about these things and then just seeing it all come together. And it's kind of like cool, man. Like we can agree to disagree on things, but we're all looking to work on the same fucking pattern and how we do things. And I've never been able to sit down with someone in that space to do that, which is why I'm all over the place too sometimes. But yeah. that is just me. Um, people who've been listening to the podcast for a long period of time knows my that God, my thought, George, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, my thought process is very dynamic from others, and I have learned to learn how to articulate that to others, so they can now know what I'm talking about. Because I do do that a lot, but it's just how I retain and how I. It's not that I'm not smart. I know I'm very smart. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I got a humble brag. It's the best part about That's, me. Because yeah. <laughs> for the longest time, I've always thought I wasn't, and I always learned how to articulate and have a conversation like this. It's kind of, so I appreciate you. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you for bringing your best and friend I'm in. I'm so it. happy you finally got to come out here. It was yeah. good. North Carolina is pretty chill, both you, in weather and just- You uh, came when it nice. snowed. Good job. I, I love the snow, so I'm all for yeah. it. Yeah. That's why I brought my winter coat, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess one uh, definitely something I want to say is that um, 
when it comes to like how we are always pitting uh, endurance with resistance training and whatever, like we know you can do both. We know you should do yeah. both. If it gets you to exercise, keep doing it. Yeah. Like if you hate doing quote unquote bodybuilding type workouts, don't do them. If you like to do Olympic lifts, do, do those. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then if you are really focusing on a sport, like be better about how you program your stuff and don't just be like well going back to that firefighter that that does a lot of powerlifting like hey man are you gonna walk into a fire pick someone up and put them down and be like all right peace out that was really cool yeah like no you have to be able to drag them out pick them up so like be more specific about your stuff yeah. um and then when it comes to science like understand that these are systems that we've put into play then we're like this is how we get knowledge um but like Brooke said, it's like in a little vacuum and it's like, yeah, this works, but only through this. And we didn't even get deep into the, um, like the biochemistry stuff, but just because we have an increase in muscle protein synthesis or something does not mean that that's going to automatically translate to having hypertrophy. Um, just because we have increases in mitochondrial biogenesis, you know, our, our ability to create mitochondria doesn't mean we're going to have higher VO2s. It's funny so you like, saying this right now. I literally just read a research paper talking about that for like neurogenesis. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's like it's like there's there's all these things that we take these cells, cell models, we learn about them, but we're not just cells. Like we have multiple systems at play um that are going to dictate whether something actually has an effect or not. So Yeah. It's Man, it's it's the fucked up part about research, right? Is like someone can come in and be like, "Well, did you do this, this, and this? And how were they eating? What was their hydration like? What was their sleep like?" Like it's there's like so many man. like if and there's so bugs. many ifs in this, and that's why it's like you know what? What if we don't know a fucking thing and we're all just guessing at this and throwing darts in the dark? And then all of a sudden we open our eyes and like, oh, that one worked. Yeah. And it's like, how do, how do I how do I do that again? And it's like, fuck, I don't know, but I know what. I've done up to this point to make it happen. Yeah. Well, you know how like when people watch things like the Super Bowl and they're like, oh, why didn't Cam Newton like drop on that fumble ball? Like he's a little bitch, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, you're saying that from the comfort of your home and you have never experienced it. Yeah. Like you've never like played an elite level sport. Okay. Same thing where it's like, we should be criticized as scientists. We should say like, hey, do this a little better. or Maybe this is better. But when someone who just reads research is like oh well you guys didn't use mris to yeah. look at hypertrophy like why'd you use an ultrasound it's like well because the mri costs literally millions mm, of dollars yeah. uh you need a special technician and then it takes way more time uh an ultrasound gives us almost the exact same stuff it's like well it's five percent better why don't you use it because it's five percent worth m my entire lab budget and that 5% is not what I need right yeah. now. Yeah, and so, like, it, it's hard or it's easy to sit from the sidelines and be like, oh, why didn't you do this? Or even, uh, they got money from Big Dairy, so you shouldn't listen to them. Like, what the fuck is Big Dairy? You know, just <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Coca-Cola uh, gave me some money to do research. That doesn't inherently mean that they're like, you have to tell them Coke is good. Like, no. Um, but, again, if you're not in it, then you don't understand what it's like to get grants, what it's like to do work. Um, how things fall the apart. The process all to the get time. that fucking paper to you. Yeah. There's a like, uh, and that's. I love that you outlined that because yeah, it's, I think it's eye opening for people to understand. 
Because I used to be that person. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, before I was, like, in school. Stop. It's hard, okay? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, no, literally, like, before I went into school and started understanding, like, research and methods and experiments and self-report and all those things, like, before, I was me. I was like, well, why didn't they fucking do this? Why didn't they do this? Now it's like, cool, I can ask those questions with understanding that there's a thought process behind this and why it is. So then now it's like, cool, I dig that research paper or like, meh, I now have a full picture of it. Okay, cool. I can understand it, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's, I don't know, it's just a, uh, it's an eye-opening experience, that's for sure. And I'm, I hope the listeners can go ahead and now and take looking at research when it is presented to them and they read through it, that it doesn't have to be this over-complicated thinking approach. It doesn't have to at all. Just read what the words are writing and take what those researchers did for obviously what they're putting forth because they obviously had a process to get there. Um is is the idea behind all that so we might have row on in like a year and he'll be like everything i said yeah i'll be like sure, sorry guys. exactly <laughs> right like i mean it's but, so wrong i was so wrong it, but that's, but that's why cool. i love the science field specifically exercise and nutrition because i think it's cool that it's a young field and yeah. it's changing and growing so i like wow. to yeah. nerd out about it i learned a lot i feel like you guys were speaking a different language for a minute where i was like uh <laughs> Okay. I've, I've, didn't learn all those I've words. Never, I've never been able to sit here and have a conversation with someone <laughs> at that level. So I'm happy that I was able to uh, in also, some point. I'm not like at any level higher than anyone else. I just I hate myself you, enough to do school for the rest of my life. So. <laughs> Actually, I told that to I told that to Bill. I, I was like, bro, why don't you tell me school gets harder when you get into your senior year? He was like, ah. And I was like, God damn it. It just gets worse. It's, it's like I write a 2,000 word essay on Sunday. And now I got to write another one today. I'm like, or this week. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, good times. Don't but miss it. I yeah. would actually <laughs> like to pick your brain, and we can talk about this off cam, off yeah. off mic. But I'm looking to do my capstone in adolescent development and performance anxiety. Wild. Oh, that's that's completely different. Yeah, I'm and like, that's not my domain. <laughs> no, but like, I would like to pick your brain on like because you've yeah. done the research stuff before, right? And like, I want to learn. I want to make sure I can hit the right points because it is a very wild fucking thing. Yeah, but. Being in the field from, you know, coming from the special operations community, it's a reconnaissance marine and doing those things and working around guys who have experienced multiple different things in their career to come out and transition. And then also working with athletes at higher levels than a national level or whatever else and understanding like, hey, why do you have performance anxiety and what happened to you or what happened in your development process as an adolescent and why is it causing this? What is your sports like and all those things? So, yeah. And then even like, it, even if it's just like, oh, I hated running, but my dad made me do it. You're like, all right, that's <laughs> it's cool. literally right. Like, <laughs> so you don't run no more. And why do you why do you have anxiety while you're doing this? So, um, thanks for your time. Yeah, I appreciate thank you it. both for coming. Yeah, thank Casey you, Casey and Roe. Casey and Roe, appreciate sure. it. This was a a good conversation, a long one. Hopefully, uh, we can have you back in here again. Yeah, I'd love to. And like I said, uh, I'll always come in and probably say something different, uh, and it's not because. I, I think don't know we always do. Also, I don't know anything. Uh, it's just because things are changing so much. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on, Brooke. Thanks for uh, having a good conversation, George. Uh, and then Casey, would I give your would I give you a little spot on public health? That was really good. <laughs> well. We did that because you needed a bathroom break, so I was like, I saw the kick. I was the like, secrets. oh, here's the cue. <laughs> um, no, but it was really cool. I hope to spend a couple more days out here and enjoy. Enjoy North Carolina for yeah, a bit. Yeah, we're gonna enjoy this gym cool. here. I'm gonna afternoon. have broke squeeze some food. Make all food. Yeah, I'm like I hello, did cook RD. a really good breakfast. It was really morning. great. I it did was. Uh, like sweet plantains, Never had skillet those. potatoes, cheesy scrambled eggs, and avocado. Was this off the soft lead app? 
No, this is what she's supposed to say. Yes. Well, there's a look into how she's Brooke like, goes I ahead. I am the self lead app. Though. I know. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it's my brain. That's one of and my then 600 it, recipes. Yeah. 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 No, that's all literally how it is. It's like, what are you doing for today? I was like, I can go pick from all the programs I've written, <laughs> or I can just create some in my head that's going to be beneficial down the road when yeah. I need to write more programming. Good oh, times. Man. Well, God, thank you very much. I appreciate the insight. Yeah, thanks and, for having me. And we'll link up all of your info and where to find you in social media so people cool. can watch your adventures. <laughs> yeah, my uh, staring at computer screens and hitting my life. Such a great adventure, for sure. You guys post some like uh, legit, funny, relatable memes on... So you'll notice uh, I'll post memes when I'm the most busy because it's my way of being like breaking. Uh, I'm going to procrastinate. <laughs> but I love it. So we'll definitely link up all your info for people to find you and reach out to. Word. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Latest. Bye. Till next time.